0: This podcast is not intended for younger audiences. If you are younger than 18 years old, please turn this off. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views of the podcasters' employers. And now, on to our double feature.
1: Welcome! Welcome, everyone, to Two Dudes One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films. That is about it. I am Dude One, Richard. Dude Two, Joe. And today, we have a returning guest. She was on our Phantom of the Red Shoes episode, and she comes back triumphantly in this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, our third dude this week, Alison Cola.
2: Hello, everybody. Oh, thank you, thank you. You're too kind. Thank you, my beloved audience. Thank you,
0: guys. You can't you can't see this, but Richard's doing an excellent, excellent impression of Orson <laughs> Welles in Citizen Kane during the clapping scene at the opera when his when his second wife is singing.
2: That's immediately what I was thinking of.
1: I would I would stand up, but I was going to hit my microphone, so you, you you have to get it sitting down. But I tried.
2: Okay, but seriously, thank you so much for having me back on the show. I've been very excited to.
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, you're okay, usually anyways. you're usually you're like the giggler on the show, Richard. Now I'm gonna have to like take out like just like eight. I'm gonna eighty-five <laughs> percent of the episode is just gonna be claps. You're like ah, how's the episode? How's the episode, Joey? <laughs> Okay, am I but
1: for real.
2: I'm flattered you guys have had me back. I've I loved being on the show the first time around. And then when Joey said what we were going to be discussing tonight was the two films we were going to talk about, I was like, "Well, you have to have me back again." I meant it as a joke, but he was like, "Okay." And I was like, "What?"
1: <laughs> you know, that happened that ha- that happens to me a lot. Like I'll say something to Joey, he'll be like, Wait, really? Like, no, no, no. I'm kidding. I
2: mean, that's kind of how we started. Like, that's how we did our whole meetup when we met for our first time. Up, oh, like, I thought I,
1: I honestly I honestly thought that's you were going to say that's how you started dating. <laughs> I mean, kind of. <laughs> I feel like, no, oh, no. That's
2: no. serious. Kind of. It's like th- when Joey and I met, we met on a dating website and we were talking back and forth and he kept saying how he wanted to come out to Disneyland. So I kept joking, saying, well, maybe I should just be your tour guide. And he took me seriously, <laughs> and that's how we went on our first date.
1: You know what? That's all that matters. It, was, lo- it, it uh, was it lovely?
2: It was literally the most amazing week at Disneyland ever. And maybe I'm just thinking about that because I miss Disneyland, and I'm seeing all kinds of our photos pop up on Facebook memories, and I really hate that. <laughs> but it, I was just thinking about that the other day, so that it was fresh in my brain.
1: Um, And my dog's barking. Can you hear that? Hi, Dogo. Yeah, yeah she she likes to she she likes to show up on the show all the time. How are you guys? By the way,
2: you want to go first?
0: No, I'll let you go first.
2: Okay.
1: Oh, you guys being cute. <laughs> Valentine's Day, like, do you want to go first? Nah, you go first. Nah. Yeah,
2: it it is Valentine's Day as we're recording, so um, I it's been a weird Valentine's Day, <laughs> to say the least. Joey's face. Um. <laughs> Just. I got Joey's Valentine's Day card yesterday, and he's getting a package eventually in the future. It's like we've yet to do a Valentine's Day in person, which I can't wait for just for fun. Um, We're going to do something after we record, and we're going to watch our all time one of our all time favorite movies. We're going to watch the 1991 Disney smash hit Beauty and the Beast. That's become our unofficial Valentine's Day tradition. I'm going to cry later.
1: That sounds about right. It definitely seems like a good date thing that you guys would do.
2: It just turned into one of our accidental traditions. Oh, I always look forward to it. Just because it's one of those accidental traditions that we just started up. And we're always finding something new in the background. Like, when we're watching, we'll be watching the background animation. We'll be watching the crowds. I love there's one shot when they're having, like, the fight in the beast castle. And it's the enchanted objects versus the villagers. I just love this one dresser that's there with a baseball bat just waiting to beat somebody. I always look out for that thing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know who thought to animate that, but I love whoever did.
0: One of my favorite, like, freeze, the best freeze frame in the movie, and you guys know this one, of course, is when Gaston's falling and you see the skulls. Mm -hmm. One time I was watching it with friends and I paused it perfectly at that moment. And I don't think I've ever been prouder of myself in any other given moment in my life. I mean, cool.
2: (laughs) It is said that Disney never sleeps, like, when their animation is going hardcore. Like, you look at some of the modern animation stills, and you can see the reflections of other characters in characters' eyes. That's how detailed they go into their animation. So it's amazing seeing that in the 2D stuff, too. It's wonderful. But yes, that's our tradition. Um... Other than that, nothing too major's been going on. I'm hopefully gonna get back into my radio show thing that I talked about last time. Oh, we yeah. did, yeah, we did not get to do any Christmas shows or anything like I thought we were gonna do because California went full stupid and went into, I guess, the purple classification
1: for mm, yeah
2: cases. Mm. It, it was horrible during the holiday season. Like everything was just like way bad. But on the plus side, kind of, we've been having a significant number of cases dropping. So it's like everything's, it's getting better, but we're not all the way, if that makes any sense.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: So that's where kind of I've been. Nothing too much has changed.
1: Just trying to chill. While everything around you and the world's going on?
2: More or less. I mean, I still have to go to work every day. Like, it's interesting because I still know some people who are um, out of the job or they're on, like, you know, um, they can't get a safe job right now, which is horrible. I couldn't, I was furloughed for two months when this whole thing started and I almost went nuts. I was like, this is insane. I have to do something for work. I was very lucky to get my job back. So, knowing some of my friends who've had or haven't had the chance yet to go back to work or find a new job or have whatever opportunity they need, it's like, damn, this sucks.
1: It's it's incredibly rough. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just it's a really tough situation. So, but at least at least you're able to have, you know, a job and able to, you know, live more or less.
2: It's a modified existence. I'll say that. It's definitely not perfect. Cause in a perfect world, I would have probably come to visit Joey for the weekend. I actually had thought about doing that. Had everything gone according to plan, but I'm over here in California still. What are you gonna do?
0: How about you, dude? Too. I mean, you know, just been. Um, I've been working, you know, and just trying to, you know, stay stay relatively sane. Uh, through through these you know, difficult times. I, I'm very lucky to have a job and health insurance, obviously, and all that. So, um, that, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's that, but I haven't really been, I've been working on tax stuff really and tax stuff and like, that's, that's, and helping my, Do you file? Um, I'm about to, yeah. Like I, I have to, there's a lot of stuff I have to lo- look at, um, on my end, but It's um, you know, it's it's all right, you know, everything is is fine. How about you, Richard?
1: Now today today was a bit of a rough day. Admittedly, my car my car's have been having a lot of issues lately, and so uh, periodically, because I don't go to work near as often as I used to, by choice, admittedly by choice, um, and so every every so often before I leave, I we have to check the car and make sure everything's okay. And last night uh, in the parking lot while I was at work, my car just decided not to turn on. And so we tried to, like, my dad came and helped, and, you know, my dad was an absolute hero the, through the whole situation, so I, I'm very thankful for that. Thank you, Dad. Um, and so <clears throat> we're trying to, like, do all these different things. We get a new battery, see if that works, um, and then we try to start the car, and it's just not going. And then bits of the engine like shot off of it
2: i'm sorry what
1: (laughs) yeah it was it was it was pretty scary i'm surprised no one in in my work came out and was like what was that so i'll probably like when i work again on on i think tuesday i'll probably like have to be like listen do you got did you hear like like a loud bang (laughs) so if you did i'm sorry that was my car
2: yeah dude you're gonna need to get that checked out And I'm not just saying that because I work for an auto repair shop. I'm saying you should probably actually get that checked out.
1: No, it's, 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 it's currently at a family friend's, uh, automotive business. So (laughs) it went straight there. (laughs) Okay, good. But no, it, it definitely was having some issues, but my dad was able to try, he tried to figure it out, but, um, ultimately, you know, we had to do what we had to do. So hopefully we're able to fix it, but. Other than that, that was just a really weird way to start the day. Just how everything played out. But I'm home now. I'm talking to you guys. And that's that's all that matters. And again, thanks Dad. I appreciate it. But um, there was one thing that happened today. Admittedly, while having car troubles is awful, this one is just annoyingly awful.
2: <laughs> I, I think I know um, what you are referring to.
1: So, Alright, so again, this is gonna seem old by the time this episode comes out, but the Justice League trailer came out today. The, um, pardon me, <clears throat> excuse me, Zack Snyder's Justice League trailer came out today. And you know what? I'm gonna be honest. I'm just gonna start off right at the front with this. I'm not really all, I'm just, at this point, I just don't care about the Zack Snyder stuff with DC anymore. Like, they've they've moved on. They've made movies that I genuinely enjoy now within that continuity that's very much different than stuff Snyder's done. But I will admit I am curious. I'm curious what he would have done and I'm curious what the movie will end up being, but I'm not in any way overly excited. And the last few trailers like the Hallelujah trailer and whatever just, just no. Like I was we we talked I'm pretty sure we talked about it on here, didn't we?
0: Yeah, we did talk about it. Um, I forgot what episode we talked about it. We did talk about that trailer.
1: Yeah, and it just—it was just really like too on the nose and cringy. But then this new one comes out, and I'm like, okay, you know what? Like, like there's actually something cool and some cool little bits and some little fun things in. So I'm like, okay, again, I'm not entirely excited, but there's stuff actually that are kind of cool. So I'm starting to feel a little bit better, but not. In any way excited, then the end of the trailer appears, and a character that people, I guess, were excited to see. Mm. <laughs> I mean, they are obviously, but when the character shows up, you hear his voice, and what does he? You know what, Joey? What does he say? What does he? What does he say in the trailer,
0: Joey? He's uh, uh, this is Jared Leto's Joker, um, and uh, he he says, "We live in a society." And I stopped listening after that because (laughs) I I just I was just in disbelief. Like Richard, three different people messaged me uh, to tell me this. Three different people messaged me. I was one of them. You were one of them. Gifford was the first one that I saw, and I'm like, no, because sometimes Gifford will like I love Gifford. Sometimes he'll he'll, he'll, like he'll make a joke or like he'll pull pull your leg, but he wasn't kidding. This was he was serious. No,
1: he flat out says the meme, and it's the cringiest thing ever. It's more, listen, it's more cringy than when Snyder puts Hallelujah in the Justice League trailer. It's more cringy than when Ray and Kylo Ren kissed at the end of Skywalker. Which I didn't think would be a top, like, I don't think, I never thought you could top that
0: as far as cringe is concerned. But they did. With one line. Alright, so... I'm going to try to dance around this carefully because in case my uncle... I I, I have stepped all over it, so you could be the the nicer person. My uncle uncle is a fan of those those Snyder um, DC movies. And he is very excited for Zack Snyder's Justice League. So there are a lot of people who are genuinely very excited. And you know what? Yes, yes they are. To have have something, especially during this really god-awful time in our history... And if you can find something that gives you some modicum of joy... Like, for me, it's a giant monkey taking his axe and swinging it at a giant radioactive goddamn dinosaur. <laughs> and if your joy is having a better version of what Joss Whedon shot out in 2017, then... Yeah! You know what? If that's your thing, yeah. Cool. 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 We're happy for you. I just want to... I'm also just as a curiosity thing, because it's like, okay... Because a lot of people talked about this like Snyder thing as like a trilogy, of sorts. Yeah. So it's like I want to see I want to see the conclusion because I'm genuinely curious, you know. But I also it also makes me think of stuff like Hellboy, where Hellboy never. I mean, like I remember there was yeah. like brief talks, but that's never going to happen. Guillermo,
1: Guillermo del Toro never got his third chance, and he probably never will.
0: He never will, and it's one of those the great cliffhangers, you know. And we never got we never got to see it, and we ne- probably never will. But for those fans out there who are not harassing people online, because I know there are some that are just that are just excited about this. To those people, yeah. I'm very happy for you. To those people, I am very, very happy.
1: I do I do hope that it is exactly what you want it to be. I hope it it's everything you were hoping Zack Snyder would do with DC. I because you know, it's unfiltered, you know, it's un it's just everything I'm sure he wanted to do with Justice League and more. So I hope it's exactly what you want. Uh, on that note no i'm not i'm not one of those people i was just going to make a joke <laughs> and
2: say i don't know it looks like they're using a lot of filters in that i've only seen a couple images from the trailer and i'm like yep yep i'm 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 one of those people where i'm just not invested at all i i like a couple of the DCU movies like and when i say a couple i really just mean wonder woman cuz that was the only one that actually kept me from falling asleep um the rest of it is just kind of like, nah, I'm good, fam. So I have no investment in this whatsoever. That's fair. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm interested in seeing other people's reactions, but am I probably going to Which watch I'm sure it?
1: the entire internet is excited to see some of these reactions, or they're nervous. What
0: are the two?
2: I think it's both. I'm just staying out of it.
0: I remember Gifford was saying to me, actually, that the Snyder Cut was like the most tweeted about... Um, Warner Brothers movie of all time, or I wouldn't be surprised, or something like that. And it, it it really, I mean, like now HBO Max has something to put out because the only other like HBO Max, other than having a good library of content, they haven't had any like mu- they haven't had much success with original shows. They haven't had like a Mandalorian, you know, type of thing or a Stranger Things no, level. Nothing, like,
1: nothing's nothing's been a huge hit.
2: I'll say this: the only thing that really interests me about the whole Snyder cut. Thing is, the actual like spectacle itself. I've never ever heard of a remake quite like this. It's a movie that came out recently, it's a director's cut where they went back and filmed it. It's my, it's as far as I know, it's unprecedented as far as movies are concerned. And I'm interested in seeing that angle of it more than I am of the actual movie. Like, that's what I'm curious about is what does this mean for the future of movie making? Like if a movie doesn't do well, they go back and fix it because they do this with like Broadway shows and stuff. When they first open movies, they'll be like what's called, called previews and they'll tweak and work out things when they're just getting started because things aren't picture locked yet. They can still move things mm-hmm. around. They can write in a new number if they need it. They use the audience reaction to figure out whether or not this is the show they want to put out. Um, I've not ever seen that really done with a movie, so it's interesting to see it.
1: The irony of that, of that, of that thought is when I was in, at least, you know, taking film classes in college, one of the, one of the most important lessons that my teacher, all my teachers would try to instill in us that you have to move on. (laughs) Like, even if you're not entirely pleased with a particular project you're working on, you have like there you like it's done. You did it. Move on to the next thing.
0: And that actually makes me think of George. What George Lucas once said that film like films are never or like George Lucas or Walt Disney they were talking kind of talking about this is that films are never really finished. They're abandoned. Yeah, I, I think about I think about that a lot with um uh with, with the with the Snyder cut. But actually, I remember it actually goes back to I remember one of the first things Richard and I talked about doing as an episode was a double a double feature with Zack Snyder's Justice League and the Richard Donner uh, cut of Superman 2 which that mm-hmm. was a major major undertaking and that one is not it's not perfect i mean it, it's they they've had to use like really old footage they had to test reuse footage stuff that, test test footage like you know i'm glad that it exists and i'm glad that i have it on blu-ray but it's it's an, definitely an interesting like uh case study as far as like revisiting revisiting a film
1: we haven't actually decided to do that but if you want us to and if you want that episode just let us know but as of yeah, now it's not I, on the it's not on the card yeah I've,
0: i figured i would bring it up just because it's it's we have a lot of this planned out for the future but we haven't put that one on the on the schedule yet
1: but anyway we've talked too much about this it's been 21 minutes so <laughs> <laughs> um, now Besides the fact that you know we love Allison and we like having her on the show, we also have her on because she happens to be at least our our um, resident expert on our topic this week, which is musicals. You know, those those movies and and and, and shows that where, where people stop for a second and emote in song. You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen those things? They're wild. But <laughs> <laughs> so um we wanted to talk about I think it was just us trying to figure out what exactly we wanted to do for episodes, and so we are like, why not do a musical episode? And uh, it actually happened pretty easily, the way we were able to, to come up with which ones we wanted to talk about. And for our first movie,
0: what are we talking about, Joey? We are talking about... Uh, we are... Sorry. We are talking about... Did you forget? Sorry, no. <laughs> I, I was... I I just didn't pay attention for a second. Take two. (laughs) (laughs) Come on! Uh Uh-oh. That just shows you how much I care. 1952's (laughs) Singing in the Rain. Oh, yeah.
1: Which I've never seen before until this episode, fun fact.
2: So, with Singing in the Rain, I had seen it before when I was, like, way younger. But I seen it before in the ways, like, I knew I watched it, but I didn't, like actually pay attention to it. I just remember just vaguely seeing the songs, seeing the music. I didn't remember any of the character names. So going back and watching it for this, um, it was like almost like a first watch. A lot of the stuff I did recognize, but a lot of the stuff I did forget. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, Singing in the Rain is a fun musical just for my group because there's one song particularly that we sing to each other when we're doing a double show and we're there in the morning we always say good morning good morning i don't want copyright strike and <laughs> um see
0: joey she knows
2: what can i say listen I know.
0: listen nobody listens and we're refer we're referring to an incident <laughs> i think we're fine anyway continue Allison.
2: We, we, but sing she the still knows song. <laughs> she
0: pays attention, unlike some people.
2: We sing the good morning song, and we it's a good warm up for us. And we use references to singing in the rain. Actually, um, singing in the rain is so popular that I this is a fun anecdote that I remembered recently is when we were at Disneyland. That's me and Joey. Um, we read Disneyland in 2019 in August. I remember that. Yes. uh, This was a weird day because Joey and a couple of other friends of ours were able to go to the D23 convention. I, for some circumstances that are really complicated, was not able to get into the actual convention itself, but I was able to go have fun in the parks. So I was by myself in Disneyland and I was like, I'm going to go to Toontown. I love Toontown. Toontown is basically like this cartoony world. If you've never seen it, it, it's amazingly proportioned it's just like stepping into one of the old cartoons and I met up with Pluto like he was doing a meet and greet on the street and the couple before me or whatever they upset him because they didn't have any trees like he was searching around for trees so he was crying on a lamppost and this is where it connects to singing in the rain I saw the image of Pluto on the lamppost and I was like oh no don't cry and I just started singing. Singing in the Rain, Pluto immediately caught on, and it was so cute. He started dancing. Like, I have pictures of him swinging on the lamppost, and he started doing, like, a full routine. He was a great dancer. Dogs are amazing dancers, I got to tell you that. But it was so cute, and he loved it. So that's one of my fun, like, little connections with Singing in the Rain. Nice. It's a fun musical that everybody, I think, has at least mostly fond memories of but we'll get into that later.
1: It's it's a very sparkly. That's why I like to describe it as. It's very sparkly, very bright kind of musical, which I kind of which obviously, you know, just when you see the poster and you you see like clips and stuff, you kind of expect it to be that way. But there were definitely aspects of it that were still somewhat surprising. Like not that I, you know, I didn't expect it to be entertaining or funny or anything, but it was actually like really really funny, which was nice. And Gene Kelly liked to stare into the camera a lot. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) which which I didn't know was—I didn't know if that was like a directing technique of his, just to be like, "Do you have it on me? Do you? Yeah. All right. Good." So, as your musical expert,
2: I have to tell you, I don't know. I don't know if that was a choice or not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that.
2: But yeah, Gene Kelly's performances is so iconic there's another Disney connection for the longest time it was actually immortalized in the great movie ride at Walt Disney World that
0: was my first exposure to it um, because I I, you know as and still you know before the pandemic I'd been to Disney World many times one of my favorite attractions that's unfortunately no longer there is the great movie ride and one of the first one of the first scenes in the great movie ride is that iconic image of of Gene Kelly in that sequence singing, literally singing in the rain. And I always remember too, uh, before you board the great movie ride, they have like a showcasing of all the trailers of all the movies that are featured, you know, so stuff like, you know, public, public, the public enemy, uh, footlight parade, Fantasia, Raiders, of the lost Ark. And one of the trailers I remember is singing in the rain. And as a kid, I was very confused watching a lot of that trailer. Cause I'm like, wait a minute, the whole thing is not in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many other things that happen in singing in the rain other than like a song about you know them in the rain you uh, should <laughs> imagine
1: how soaked they would be by the end like
0: they don't even go inside anywhere it just rains. i would
2: hate to pay their water bill on the set
0: <laughs> um but singing in the rain um 1952 technicolor mgm musical it was made by a unit at mgm called the freed unit uh, this guy by the name of arthur freed who produced a lot of very successful movies in the year before Singing in the Rain he produced An American in Paris with Gene Kelly which won best picture and swept the Oscars and he would go on to produce Gigi which also won best picture and but more importantly for this um he actually co he actually was co-wrote a lot of the songs that are in Singing in the Rain and this is a fun fact that blew Richard's mind before he watched the movie is that most of the songs in Singing in the Rain are not original to Singing in the Rain yeah it's a jukebox musical.
2: This is one of the very few jukebox musicals that I actually really like. It's a weird genre because like you'll get um, you, like Mamma Mia is another one that it, it is a guilty pleasure for me because I've been in a production of Mamma Mia recently. All the songs are from ABBA. Usually with a jukebox musical or at least modern ones, all of them are at least somewhat interconnected. Like it's the same artist or same group or something. They're not just picked apart. Um, although Moulin Rouge is a really great example of one, a jukebox musical that isn't, it doesn't have like a, a connecting artist or connecting anything. It's just a bunch of love songs and thong, songs, thong, wathquee <laughs> wabbit, a bunch of songs. <laughs> it's a bunch of songs that are loosely connected with like their theme of love or the um, action that's happening or I would say written around the songs. I had forgotten that a bunch of these songs were not original to Singing in the Rain. Like uh, y- you in-
1: including singing in the rain yeah, the song. The, the
2: title song itself is not an original piece. It's an older song that like Joey showed me an example of Cliff Edwards singing it um which is done way before this movie was made. Um it's it, but the musical, this movie itself has become so iconic that those songs are just automatically associated with the movie, which is a testament to how good it is. It really just is.
0: Yeah. So with this, with this movie, like Arthur Freed wanted, was like, okay, I got a bunch of these songs from my like music musical days from like the like the twenties and thirties, because a lot of he did a lot a lot of movies back then. And he wants wanted to put them all into a movie, and they were like, "Well, you should make a movie about the transition from silent movies to talkies, and to make those songs fit because those songs were written at that time, like the late twenties, early thirties. Like when I show you that like that Cliff Edwards clip, that was from like nineteen twenty nine, nineteen like nineteen thirty something, really, really old. Before like they really got a got a good handle on like the sound recording technology, which is a big subplot in this movie where they're trying to figure out like sound like before with like with with you know silent films, you just see them they just act they just do whatever and they just you know you don't you don't hear their voices so it doesn't matter but they have to try to figure out okay we're gonna put the microphone to the bush is that gonna work microphone gets knocked over cords are everywhere like it's it's kind of wild
1: that was my favorite that was one of my favorite scenes
2: Well, that makes me laugh because that's what we have to do on the stage a lot with our mics is um, for a lot of performances, you'll be mic like you'll have a microphone in your wig or there will be mics at the bottom of the stage. So I was just like, yep, I relate to this.
1: Or, you know what, on that note, I was doing sound work on a friend's short film and we were trying to find out the best ways to like hide the mic because we were filming in, in a cold stone and it's obviously very loud because of the freezers constantly like humming so we had to, like, figure out the best ways possible to, like, get the mic in there. We didn't have a boom mic or anything. We had, like, something else. And so there, the whole opening scene's a tracking shot to uh, Roger, who is the uh, lead actor, sitting in a chair. And uh, I'm sitting as, like, an extra, and I have headphones on, but I'm actually just doing sound work. So I have the thing in front of me, but the camera doesn't see it as it pans. So <laughs> that was that was like, trying to, like, hide myself while, like sticking my arm up (laughs) and trying to do like audio work was fun it's just so
2: relatable if you've been behind the scenes of any kind of production how Mm -hmm. crazy that can be i was laughing really hard at how when um gene kelly's character i forget the in character names a lot
0: don lockwood thank you don
1: he likes only his friends call him donald
2: lockwood and oh shoot the the chicks the one with the nasally voice who really 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 grates on your nerves lena
0: lamont As that guy, uh, Gene Hagen, who was Oscar-nominated for her performance in this movie, and deservedly so.
2: Oh, deservedly so. She plays the most annoying character in the film, (laughs) but she does it so well. Like, I I, (laughs) Lockwood and Lamont are like, uh, it's almost like a commentary, you could say, on Hollywood couples. Because even back then, they were obsessed with Hollywood stars and Hollywood couplings. Beg your pardon. And Lamont was just so her voice was so irritating like me doing that impression right now was nothing compared to how well she put up this performance for the whole movie she she just has this irritating voice which since we're in a story about the transition from silent to talkies her irritating voice actually became a problem and was like the catalyst for everything that was happening
0: Oh yeah, and it's actually really funny too when you watch the movie at first and you see the flashbacks when Don Lockwood's getting a start in Hollywood, and she's the one character who doesn't speak in those in those flashbacks. She doesn't say; she just kind of has that has that look. V- really funny. Gene Hagen also actually dubs herself too in this movie, which is kind of funny. Yeah, I oh, didn't yeah. know that. The whole movie is about uh, Kathy Selden, played by. Debbie Reynolds, may she rest. in Debbie, Debbie Reynolds' character of Kathy is an up-and-coming, like, ingenue, you know, actress person, and she is that they just get the idea to have her dub uh, Lena Lamont. But there's a scene. There's a scene where it's Gene Hagen's voice that's doing the dubbing for 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 Kathy, and it, it, I just found I just find that kind of funny. It's a movie about like, oh, they have to dub her voiceover, but. The person who's doing the dubbing also got dubbed over.
2: It's almost like it's a meta-commentary, which it probably wasn't. I mean, that that practice of dubbing in Hollywood was prevalent, especially in musicals. Like, The King and I is a really great example. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, King and I is probably my most instantly thought of example. But it's been done in um, West Side Story. It's been done in musicals because singing is... This is where I'm going to transition to more modern day musical of what, a musical that did it bad. I have to mention Les Mis, the recent Les Mis movie. That was an example. Of, yes.
1: Did it make you the Miserables watching it?
2: Well, here's the thing. At the time, I was young, dumb and naive, so when I saw it, I thought it was great because I had rose-colored glasses on. In retrospect, now, knowing what I know now more about performing and about how you have to have some necessary things like going back and dubbing over yourself, the singing on the stage and recording it live is a novelty, unless you're doing like Disney did with Hamilton. The recent Hamilton releases, filming the actual stage show, because mm-hmm. in the Les Mis movie was a mess. The actors did not dub themselves. They were singing on the stage, on the soundstage, live for six, seven, eight hours, sometimes 10 hours a day of filming, which can be murder on your vocal cords. Like There there was a great video I saw recently, and I sent you guys um, another of his videos for later by this guy called Sideways, and he took a musical analysis of why the musical, the music in Les Mis the movie is not as good as the stage show. It's because they didn't do it right. Dubbing is a necessary evil. If you're making a musical movie, recording it separately in sound-controlled conditions is almost a necessity. Cause, yeah, it ends up being so bad. If it, it can be damaging to your vocal cords.
0: Um, and that was that's also too. I think feel like they're trying to strive for realism in the case of in the case of Les Mis and whenever they try to do something like that. But that kind of goes to what I think about with Singing the Rain it's it's a movie about Hollywood Hollywood has been referred to as like the Dream Factory and it it's you kind of have to get that almost like the squeaky clean polish you have to make everything look good and sound like even good.
1: almost like almost even like the actors seem a little shiny in a weird way <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you look at you look at Gene Kelly, you look at um, Debbie Reynolds, and it obviously it's a lot of it is shine off the light, but also you just how how like clean
0: and pristine they look. Yeah, and th- again, it's that that three strip Technicolor. It, there's nothing else like it. It's one of those Singing in the Rain's one of those movies where I cannot imagine it in black and white. Like I think about that with Wizard of Oz and and a number of other films, but or the Red Shoes, especially Singing in the Rain. Though it, it just pops so bright. It is, it, it, it just, it, it's one of those things just even looking at like a clip or looking at like scenes, it just instantly, it puts me in a very good mood, mm-hmm. like seeing stuff from from this movie.
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: I got to talk about uh, the, the direction because this movie has two directors. You have Gene Kelly, of course, who's our star, and Stanley Donnan, who Richard knows from Charade. I love Charade. It's a great
1: movie. <laughs> it was a rant. No, no, charade was a movie I picked up randomly from the Criterion Collection So I was like, "Oh, I know, I like Audrey Hepburn." I was like, "Joey tells me about Cary Grant all the time," and then I read the back of it and I was like, "This is an interesting plot." So I bought it, and it has Walter Matthau in it, which you know I grew up with a lot of his movies. At a late when he was older, like he did like Dennis the Dennis the Menace movie, and. The Odd Couple and you know grumpy old men like those are movies my my parents my mom and I watched and my sister all the time <clears throat> and so uh, it was just an incentive to buy it and I I really the script is really really good the story's really fun and entertaining we'll have to work that into an episode at some point actually yes I, I really yes. like that movie
0: yeah yeah yes we do but going back to like Gene Kelly he was he was a pretty dem- demanding director you know. And there, are, there are all sorts of things that I've read about, like like the production. Like I, I, I thought I'm pretty sure there's like a quote from Debbie Reynolds where she was like, "The two hardest things I did in my life were childbirth and singing in the rain." And not Halloween Town. Not Halloween Town. I, I imagine that was a lovely, lovely experience.
1: But I, there's had to have been such intensity with all the actors at Disney. Come on, intensity. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but like he,
0: you know. Like 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 she talks about like I think I was read, reading things where like there was one point where after they did Good Morning her feet were bleeding you know Donald O'Connor in make him laugh that amazing show stopping scene make him laugh where he's running up good. walls he's playing with the dummy it's such a showcase for him it's just as a talented dude he was exhausted after they were trying to film that for a couple days and even Gene Kelly was pro- was demanding on himself. You know, as a as a movie as a movie star, I mean, you see him having to work in the rain during Singing in the Rain, and just like having to to push through all that like all that all of those like difficulties, and just staging some of the numbers too. I think about I think about Broadway Melody like that. Just it's it totally like Allison, you were saying this would be totally like the Red Shoes, where they just have like the show the show within the show, and that was. An incredible number that's very kinetic and just it just keeps going and just doesn't stop until it ends <laughs> gotta damn
2: i couldn't hardly imagine what it to be what it is like to be not only an actor in front of the camera but the actor behind the camera or the director behind the camera to be one in both gene kelly somehow pulled this off really well with like what it, the parts that he directed because It's seamless. This is one of those movies where it's really hard to criticize because it just is so seamless and it works so well. You can't really find too many faults with it. Like you can knit and pick and find some small things in the background and stuff. But other than that, it just works so well. Like even some of the sillier scenes, like uh, uh, the one the Moses opposes scene where they're at the diction coach. It's so funny.
0: Which is the only truly original song from Singing in the Rain because the other one that's in Singing in the Rain, uh, Make him Laugh, was actually what I heard a of, rip off of another song. And somebody came on set and they were like, isn't this, isn't this like the clown song? And, and Arthur Freed's like, shh, 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 we don't, we, we don't talk about that, we don't talk about that. Get out.
2: Again, Singing in the Rain is just so good that it gets forgiven for ripping off another song. Kind of. Allegedly. Not actually ripping off another song. We're not making any accusations here.
0: Um, no, I mean, it, it just—it uh, it just, like I said, it just put—it puts you in a good mood. I really want to talk about the like uh, other perform, like the, the performance in this uh, all around are so funny. there's so many just really, just funny lines in this movie, particularly from like Gene Hagen and Donald O'Connor. I, I love it when they're talking about like, oh, the movies are going to talk, <laughs> and Gene Hagen's like, of "Course they're going to talk,
2: don't everybody." <laughs> so Donald O'Connelly ended up being one of my favorite comedic actors i keep calling him o'connelly it's (laughs) o'connor donald o'connor anyway donald o'connor is just one of my favorite comedic actors because his physicality is amazing and we were just mentioning the moses supposes scenes he is he's doing this thing where he's moving his lips along with the diction coach and he's just clowning around and he's just absolutely fabulous the entire time like i it it just goes to show how talented he was in front of the screen, along with up there, Gene Kelly and Debbie Reynolds. He held his own really well.
0: No, absolutely, hundred hundred percent.
2: Oh yes, and Gene Hagen. Even though she, I mentioned she was the most annoying character in the movie. She's just so fabulous with kind of like the ditzy Hollywood blonde. This this is very much a Hollywood centric movie. It's about a story about Hollywood, set in Hollywood, about the history of Hollywood. Those are admittedly tropes in movies that are among my favorites and this subject has actually been covered multiple times especially with like recently or not too recently the artist covered the transition from silent to talkies yeah
1: which i know joey is a fan of that movie
2: oh we're both big fans of the artist i love the artist so
1: much i i I just knew i just knew one half of that i'm sorry
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how many people think of "Singing in the Rain" as a comedy because it is really funny. Like uh, I'm thinking of the scene specifically, like when they're seeing uh, the the dueling cavalier <laughs> for the first time. They're doing like the test yes. showing, <laughs> and the pearls are knocking well, against the microphone, and they're having all these issues, and it just sounds so bad. No,
0: no, no. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's just like
1: she talked like this. And you you can oh, you'll have gosh. fun
0: with this one. Edit. No, just, what is going on here? Oh, or or like I was talking about the the flashback scene in the beginning where where they're like asking about Don Lockwood's rise to stardom, and he's lying about everything that has happened with him and Cosmo Brown. It's it just like he's just like dignity always dignity, and you see they're like dancing in like a pool hall. Oh yes. <laughs>
2: I, like I, I had forgotten a lot of the sequences here so when i was watching like he was going i love you i love you i love you i love you it it, it ended up being like the cheesiest ham bone acting i've ever seen and one of the te- one of the test audience members are like did they pay someone to write that dialogue and it's hilarious like i, I just love that scene i love that scene so much because it just it kind of lovingly highlights just how crazy talkies were and how hambony they were. Cause they had to transition from that to natural speech and natural dialogue. So it was, it was definitely a, um, definitely an adjustment period for people there. And some people handled it better than <sighs> others.
0: Yeah, it was, it, it's definitely rough when you, like I watch a lot of silent movies, as you guys know, and I've watched some early talkies and some of that those films from 1929, 1930, 1928, it's hard to watch some of them because of the sound. And I I always thought about I kept thinking about when I took intro to audio where it's like you got to have good audio. Even more so more if you could choose between good audio and good picture, go with good audio. Like that that's like the that's that's the that's the standard. One thing I, I remember Richard was talking about was he was slightly disappointed that Debbie Reynolds didn't really get a solo number.
1: Yeah. Because, like, the movie the movie starts off, like, just right off the bat, all three characters in raincoats singing in the rain, like, so you know these are your three main characters. These are the people that are most important in this movie. And Donald O'Connor, <laughs> <laughs> Um he, he got, obviously, a really great uh, solo number. Gene Kelly's got a bunch of them throughout the movie. But... Poor Debbie Reynolds didn't get one and it kinda of bummed me out. I was like, Debbie Reynolds would have I mean she had she had like the dance number uh, when she was at the party, but it didn't feel like the same as you know, all the ones that you know Gene Kelly and you know the one Don uh Don uh <laughs> You know the friend <laughs> The now friend doing guy. It. Yeah, it's weird. Um <laughs> so but it was kind of crazy that you were telling me there was actually one that she got, but it was never. It what, was it was, it was filmed. filmed. It was cut
0: or, um, It cut in previews. Okay, and you can find you can find it on you can find it on YouTube actually. And, not, and I think Singing the Rain is an otherwise perfect movie, but I, I definitely thought about that a lot after you you brought it up. Um,
1: I, want I want the want, Debbie I cut. Want the Reynolds I'm cut. Singing <laughs> in the rain. Damn it. Where's the Reynolds cut? <laughs> You bastards, grow a pair and release the Reynolds cut.
2: You're going to have to send me that because I actually did not yeah, know I'll, that.
0: Yeah, I'll definitely so. send it to you. But um, Singing in the Rain, you know, it it, it has all, all these things. Um, you know what? I'm just going to a- ask, what is your favorite number in the movie? Do you want to go first, Allison?
2: I was like, which one are you looking at? Uh, yeah, you go first because I, I will have a very long answer.
1: Well, I mean, I like, like I was saying earlier, I had never seen this. And I I knew of it. My first... Like, you guys were talking about, like, your first impressions. Mine, um, as Joey knows quite well, was uh, from a very different movie with a very different tone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that mm-hmm. was about... Um, it, you know, there was a fruit involved and a timepiece of some sort. <laughs> and Mal- Malcolm McDowell yeah. was there, I think. Which is funny, because he's <laughs> in The Artist. And... <laughs>
2: Oh yeah. Which is which is that's
1: just clockwork artist. I'm just saying. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But um but no, like obviously that was like a big thing with that with that movie, Clockwork Orange, because Malcolm McDowell sang that and it pissed off Stanley Kubrick because they didn't have the rights, they couldn't afford it, so they had to pay for it to keep it in the movie. Um, fun fact. So that was my first like experience with that. And so I didn't I knew sort of what I was getting into but not really. And so there was a lot of really entertaining like fun musical numbers and dance numbers. My favorite though is probably between I love the make him laugh bit cuz that was really good. That was fun. Um, and Allison, I think, put it perfectly in, like, the, the physicality and everything that, uh, Donald O'Connor put into that performance for that particular scene. I also, though, I liked the bit when they're all, like, coming up with the musical part, like, having the idea of turning the movie into a musical, and they do that song, and they're all, like, you know, switching shirts and coats and doing, like, all the dance oh, stuff. Like, that was a Good lot morning,
0: of fun. you're talking about? When, when they're... Yes, was that, was that what it was? Oh, yeah,
2: that's good morning.
1: Oh yeah, I liked that. That was fun. I liked that one a lot.
0: Which that has that has been that has been parodied so many times. Like, I, I think I remember like the I think fam, I think Family Guy did that once. I I, I distinctly remember remember them like like dancing around singing that song.
1: Well, also well, also Family Guy like Seth MacFarlane's a big musical dude, so I'm not surprised. Like, like you just see all like I was just I watched Little Shop of Horrors the other day, and I I was like. Remembering uh, the the one song somewhere that's green, that uh, is sung in the movie, and I was like, "Oh my God, Family Guy did this oh, with yeah. uh, with 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 Herbert, the the pervert old man."
2: Yep, I remember that one.
1: <laughs> On a big, enormous twelve-inch screen. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, the good, like I said, like you were saying, the Good Morning song is just. It's probably one of the more iconic songs in this movie. Mm. It's the one that my theater company uses to greet each other when we're there for like a, a matinee show. When we show up in the morning for our warm ups, we sing Good Morning. Good Morning. Yep. And uh, like, it- it's a good song. So honestly, good pick.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely liked that one. I-, I couldn't remember which one the song was, but I was like, oh, well, now I- now I'm like, yeah, that's great. I like that part.
2: For me, I would probably have to say that it is it is singing in the rain, but it's not the Gene Kelly version. It's the one at the end where it is, um, where it is Debbie Reynolds singing it for um, Lena Lamont. Like they're they're dubbing it backstage because Lena double crosses everybody in this uh, attempt to kind of muscle muscle Debbie Reynolds' character out, and. Well, it backfires on her because all the people think that Debbie's voice is Gene's voice. So what ends up happening is she is asked to sing live on stage. So the guys all come up with this wonderful plan, uh, that being Gene Donald and the guy who plays the studio head. They come up with this wonderful plan to set up the microphone right behind the screen, right behind the curtain They get Debbie to start singing she starts singing, singing in the rain, in A-flat.
0: <laughs>
2: it's got to be in A-flat. Yeah. And
0: Can't. she
2: starts singing. And they're doing it in perfect sync. But the guys all pull the curtain, uh, curtain cord, open the curtain, and then there's uh, Debbie Reynolds singing, and it's quite obvious of what's happening.
0: And then,
2: <laughs> and then Lena is absolutely disgraced. No, but
0: it's so funny because like Donald Connard comes in and, and he just goes, "The sun's in my heart." <laughs> just, make,
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's that's great. Actually, to, to ape off of that, I like I I, I love. It's a very small bit, but it's at the very end where Gene Kelly ha- has them stop. You know, Don Don has them stop Kathy from running down the aisle. And he sings, you are my lucky star. I I just love, like, ho- it's a, such a Hollywood, like, romantic, like, love thing. And just seeing, and, like, the way, like, the movie ends, seeing, you know, the Singing in the Rain billboard. But I also, I just love that Singing in the Rain sequence, obviously, just to bring up the Gene Kelly sequence. And it, it just, it literally just, it puts me in a good, in a really really good mindset, good mood. And actually makes me think of the first time I saw that movie, because first time I saw Sing in the rain, it was raining. And, um, you you know, but just, it's such a great movie. And I think it's a weird thing too, because when it first came out, it was a hit. The movie was a hit, but it wasn't like that. Nobody thought it was going to be a classic movie. And then like years later, it popped up on things like that's entertainment, which showed off like MGM movies, or and it popped up on TV. So it was weird hearing the cast members when they were interviewed about it, sort of calling it like a cult movie. Um cuz now I would say now it's definitively a classic movie. I mean, it it is it, oh, absolutely. it really like it's one of those things where yeah. Richard Richard's goal on this podcast is to show me like Tim Burton movies and Batman movies, which is an admirable goal. Batman
1: movies specifically. <laughs> the Tim Burton thing is more like here's some movies that that he did that I liked versus all the crappy ones that you are known for. So I I'm trying to like balance the
0: playing field with that. You're giving me the good stuff. I'm trying to give you like I don't want to call it film school 101 because you don't need film school 101, but like really essential stuff that you got you gotta watch if you like movies. And I honestly think. Sing in the Rain is is certainly one of those movies, and it's like literally just, just to quote the song, what a glorious feeling. Anyway, folks, we're gonna put on our raincoats and uh dance in the rain for a bit, and when we come back, we're gonna get a shave. Can See I get two. an
1: umbrella at least this time, Jimmy?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no!
2: And cut.
1: Welcome to your night. Your
0: face needs a shade This desire it is to cut No need to be afraid So come on in, sit on down, turn that smile upside down I don't mind, it's raining blood, and I'm still feeling so fine. If you look a little shaggy, feel a little shabby, I'll fix you up and make you feel brand new. i will slide this razor across your chin to accentuate that grin. Then I'll slit you throat and kill you dead, you fool. And we're
1: back! Welcome back, everyone, to Two Dudes, one double feature in our last segment. We were singing in the rain, having a good time, but now things are going to take a very drastic turn. <laughs> it's a, a really seedy, filthy... Just very different, ultimately, musical arena. We are, of course, talking about the two thousand and seven musical adaptation, Sweeney Todd: The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Joey, don't do it. Allison's here, so
0: I I will. I will restrain (laughs) myself. Don't you do it, sir?
1: I knew you were going to do something. (laughs) 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 She even.
0: (laughs) You two
1: are made for each other.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. Was there any doubt? Um. <laughs> yeah. So, Sweeney Todd. I love Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd is a weird musical. Tell us the tale be of Sweeney straight Todd. Straight up with that. Okay, that is actually how the musical begins. Um, the musical, not the movie. There's a lot of weird. I'm going to back up. There's a lot of adapt- adaptational changes from the movie um, that were left out from the mu- actual stage musical itself. I have seen both, so I can kind of compare. Um, the first thing is that there's a Greek chorus kind of element in the stage musical that is not present in Sweeney Todd, the movie, which actually works in its advantage. Sweeney Todd is one of the better Uh, stage musical adaptations to film that I've really seen and it doesn't get enough credit for it because I think people discount it as being like oh it's just another weird Tim Burton movie with uh, Johnny Depp and Helen Bonham Carter. Well
1: on that note too because it came out during that time period when that's all that was really coming out from Tim Burton. I mean from 2005 to 2012 you had Charlie and Chocolate Factory, Alice in Wonderland Dark Shadows And, you know, all these movies that people are just kind of like, what is he doing? Like he's remaking or he's doing this like he's he's doing this live action Disney remake. What's going on with this? And just like kind of earlier on, there was just this one movie that it kind of gets overshadowed by, you know, the disdain people have for all these other movies, which is kind of part of the part, part of the reason why I do incorporate, as we were mentioning uh a little while ago incorporating like Tim Burton stuff into the podcast a little bit. Um but this is just another was, sneaky way the... of
2: doing it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, of course, always. Cause especially if I if I can talk about something from this specific era that's worth talking about, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> but that that was one that just it was so different that than anything that he had been doing at that time and just in general you know, it's funny to think that Tim Burton too has only ever done two actual, like, horror movies. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of a strange thought, because he did Sleepy Hollow, and he did this. And that's it. Everything else is just, like, his weird kind of you know, uh, like, aesthetic that he does. But this one was just something that no one really expected, but it was kind of amazing. And having watched it again, you know, recently, it's, it still holds up is amazing.
2: Oh, definitely. Um, I am I, trying to remember when the first time I actually saw Sweeney Todd was like either the film or the musical. I know when I first became interested in the musical is I had just gotten onto my musical theater nonsense kick when I was a kid. And I picked out a uh, very long documentary from my library which is basically like the history of Broadway and in one of the segments um, around the 70s they talk about Sweeney Todd and Sondheim um, Stephen Sondheim is the master behind all of the music in both the mu- uh, musical and the movie obviously and Sondheim is a completely different breed of composer altogether like his music is complicated I'm not a music's major I'm not going to go into the Complexities of it. No, I, there are much more qualified people to dissect Sondheim's amazing work than I am, but I'll say this Sondheim has his own style just like Tim Burton has his. Um, this musical is entirely sung through, and that's the same with the movie. There's almost no spoken dialogue whatsoever, and anything that is, is still lyrics from the movie just kind of toned down a little bit. Um, the original Broadway cast had a lot of great car- a lot of great roles in it, like uh I'm trying to remember the name for the guy who played Sweeney at the was it, was it show, Le- but Len I know Carew? Angela Lansbury. Len Len Carew, that's it. And then Angela Lansbury was Mrs. Lovett.
0: Yeah. Which
2: you it's hard to think of Mrs. Potts being like a murderous um accomplished a murder.
1: But she does she works it. Listen, Murder, She Did write. That's all I'm saying.
2: Panache. Murder, <laughs> She Did.
1: Murder, She Wrote, my friends.
2: In this version, I'm going to try and focus on the movie because that's what we are as we're a movie podcast. We're as if I'm a recurring member. You guys are a movie podcast.
1: She is part of the weir for sure If there's anyone that can be a part of the weir Besides
0: Joey and I If you can class up the joint in any way you can Please It's like on Pawn Stars When they have to call in something He's like I gotta call in my buddy who knows this Allison's like our musical person I'm gonna call in Allison our musical expert Yes (laughs) Listen I can only offer 50 bucks for this musical I'm Rick Harrison and this is my podcast
2: (laughs) Back to it uh, Sweeney Todd is definitely a one of those weird musical movie adaptations where they, it, it's definitely not, they play a very weird line with keeping everything non-diegetic, like the characters obviously are not actually breaking into song, none of the music is part of the universe, whereas Singing with the Rain that we just talked about is... It had both. It it had a lot of music that was in the universe and they were singing and that was part of their thing, but they had musical numbers where, you know, it was just the characters emoting their emotions. There are a lot of emotions here in Sweeney Todd and a lot of them start out right from the start, the overture. It's, you'll hear this a lot if you listen to more in-depth explanations with Sweeney Todd. It's, the theme is very tied to death. There's. The great video that I was mentioning earlier earlier by Sideways shows how the musical motifs in Sweeney Todd spoil the entire story, and it's a good thing. It shows that every character is somehow tied to death. Sweeney, of course, he's tied to death. He has a madness motif that comes in and out. Um, It's just this little trill that often comes through on strings, and you'll hear it. And it it shows when it shows up mostly when Sweeney's just about to snap and he's about to kill somebody. And it's also very prevalent in the epiphany, which is one of the best numbers in the show.
1: Didn't they in that video, didn't they say it's kind of like the let it go of Sweeney Todd?
2: It's the let it go. It's the defying gravity. Yeah. Did yeah. you watch that video that I sent you?
1: I did. I did my homework. Unlike some people. Hey, how you doing? Have you seen Fruitvale Station yet, Joey? <laughs> no,
0: I haven't. I've been doing <laughs> I know you haven't. I've been helping my brother with his homework.
2: <laughs> Going into our stars, we have uh, Johnny Depp as our lead. This is like pure classic, gothic Johnny Depp, Tim Burton beautifulness. He's got the Victorian clothing on. He's pale as absolutely can be. Like, I, I think they probably corner the market on white makeup
1: it's it's close to being a black and white movie without actually being a black and white movie that's a good way to put it
2: the color palettes are very important here because most everything is just like very grim gray black and white there there's an early spot at the beginning where sweeney's talking about his past and the color palette shifts to almost like sepia tone where it's very rosy and golden. And those were his good days when he's talking about his time with his wife before he got arrested by judge Turpin
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: played by the late, the great Alan Rickman who may he rest in peace. I still miss him. He is so good in as judge Turpin that it's borderline uncomfortable.
0: Um, I, I was thinking about like the, like the color palettes. Cause I think, I think for the most part it works out in this movie. Cause I get, I get very worried when something has like a very drained, very like, I don't want to I don't want to say dull, but you know I, I get concerned when when a movie does that. But I think it works for the most part in Sweeney Todd, especially whenever like blood happens to appear on screen. You know when he's when he's slitting somebody's throat, and it's very theatrical in that sort of way. It's got a very distinctive, specific color palette to it
1: as well, to like make it stand out, and also just you know just to make it as violent but also as as dramatic and theatrical as they can be because you know that's something that i think is it works best to tim burton's benefit is that he is with like his movies or not he is a theatrical director which is weird like in a in a sense that you know he he puts a lot of emphasis on style and a lot of emphasis on like the the costumes and the looks of everything that he puts into it and everything's exaggerated so, and that's like the best musicals are the ones that are very exaggerated, which it's hard. Like you were talking about Les Mis, and how it was trying to be so realistic, and how that almost felt like maybe a detriment to Les Mis in a way.
2: Oh, it does feel like a detriment. They took the fantastical part of Les Mis out
1: of it. Yeah. So, like, I think with this, like, while they're while they're still making a movie, they don't forget that. And again, it just helps because you just have Tim Burton at the helm. You're making something that is theatrical and and very loud and and very, you know, sp- uh, uh, sp- uh, what's the word? It's uh, uh, pfft, I can't think of the word. Um, I guess I'll just stick with theatrical. <laughs> I gave up. I mean, stylized. Stylized. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Stylized. Yeah.
2: I mean, theatrical is a good word for it because this is a theater adaptation of a stage show. You can't tone it down too much, otherwise you lose so much from it. Again, see lame is as a case study.
0: Um, I was also thinking about with this movie because the the idea of Penny Dreadfuls, especially in more, in more ways than one. And Richard yeah, really knows knows where I'm going with this. Because yes, I do. You know, Sw- Sweeney Todd, like that character and the idea, very much comes from that. Like those those Penny those Penny Dreadfuls, that that style of like literature. You know those 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 books. I was like, to it's kind of like early examples
1: of like when comic books came on the scene a little bit and how they were like their cheap, like, you know, qu- quote unquote, like, you know, like violent books that like, you know, parents would hate to have their kids read. That's essentially what A Penny Dreadful is, was this book that just like was a super cheap book that had a lot of like, you know, crazy stories in them,
0: like like a like a B-movie type situation. Yeah, and I was thinking about this too because John Logan... Yeah, was one of the screenwriters for this. Richard, can you tell me what John Logan was involved in? Uh, Skyfall? I'm leaving. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's the one James Bond movie
1: I really, really, really liked. Of all the ones that I've seen. <laughs> so, I thought that was okay. Yeah, I haven't
2: seen very many other James Bond movies either, so Skyfall is one of the few that I have seen.
1: But, no, John, John Logan has done a lot of great stuff and that was my first introduction to him but the the show that joey's mentioning is of course penny dreadful which is a show that it's essentially like smart van helsing yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the best way to describe it it's like ouch it's not, like, van helsing is a dumb movie but it's an entertaining dumb movie like it's one of those movies that you're like you know what i know this is dumb but i love it i'm gonna watch it <laughs> i'm gonna watch this movie you don't have to watch me back if you don't want, but I'm gonna watch you. <laughs>
2: I mean, yeah, I watched Van Helsing with Joey, and we agreed that it was very, 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 uh, comedically over the top. Yes,
0: Allison, did I ever? Did I tell you that I, M- M- Patty, and I saw that on Mother's Day?
2: I think you did.
0: <laughs> Listen, because my mom, my mom loved 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 her some Hugh Jackman back in two thousand four. She saw him in uh, Boy from Oz. Uh, you know, and then obviously he was in the X-Men, the height of the X-Men movies back then, you know, so th- there's that. Richard, you were probably going to say something oh. about John Logan. Sorry. Well, yeah, I
1: was just like, with Penny Dreadful, like that show was essentially, it's a, it, it's very much in the same, very much in the same ballpark as Sweeney Todd, besides... You know Sweeney Todd just being a musical, but Penny Dreadful is essentially from the creative team that would have done Sweeney Todd had Tim Burton not gotten involved, because it was supposed to be Sam Mendes that directed it at one point, with John Logan, who I think is not just a screenwriter, but a producer on the movie. And so he created the show Penny Dreadful on Showtime, which, like I said, it takes all these like classic literary monsters, Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, well not the Wolfman, but he's involved still. Um and like Dorian Gray shows up at one point. or Dorian Gray, Dorian Gray is like actually like a a, very important character. Very important character who's played by Reeve Carney. Fun fact, musical theater, you know, knowledge coming in the house from a different person. But it's a really great show, and uh, I'm glad that I ended up watching it because again, I I fell in love with with John Logan's just script and the way that he was able to. Not only like work within the the world of a Tim Burton movie, but also just like he 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 puts a lot of work and uh, effort into the stories he tells. And you know when you when you look at Sweeney Todd, like there's something about Sweeney Todd from a from a script and a story standpoint that kind of elevates it above what you typically get from Tim Burton. I think, and I think a lot of it is the script.
0: Yeah, um, I was thinking about this too when I was watching, and it. it made so much sense that John Logan was involved in this because this felt like a big budget Penny Dreadful episode. Like yeah. they were like, "Oh man, we have the we have the money to get Johnny Depp. Let's get Johnny Depp, <laughs> and let's do and it." By uh, first, it does really
2: have that flavor. Uh, my
0: my first time watching this was like ten years ago. I watched it in an acting class that I took in high school, and the t- the two the two numbers that I really came away with were were, were Pretty Women and uh, uh, Joanna. Those were the two numbers I, I remembered. I remember the most and I was very glad to revisit because it's one of those movies that I had seen it but it had been a very long time so it was one of those things where it's like I couldn't really give you like what my opinion was of it other than it exists and I was really I was really glad to, to 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 watch this one and I definitely was was with you Richard that this is one of the better Burton Depp films probably the best of that period you know, I just think there's so much going for it. Like this, like it's a really good source material for one. You know, but I think they handled the source material pretty well. And, you know, I uh, it, it was. It, I think the casting is, is really good all around. We talked about Alan Rickman. Helena Bottom Carter is, is is pretty good in the movie as well. And I think I think about Tim Burton too. Like the one scene that just screams Tim Burton. It makes you think of stuff like Beetlejuice and all that. Is where like she's imagining like all of them on the beach and trying <laughs> yeah. to imagine like a, hap- like a happy <laughs> life I and he just looks mis- miserable <laughs> and i'm just, <laughs> the whole time uh, I, the whole time and I'm, i just think to myself I'm like that is just that's like peak tim burton right there it's that aesthetic
2: oh it's so great that whole that whole sequence is just fantastic because it just shows the level of delusion of mrs lovett and specifically because like You've got Sweeney, and obviously he's off the rails crazy because he wants to just murder everyone in London by that point. He he stops caring, and he is just going to kill everybody. But then you've got Mrs. Lovett over here, and she's in love with Sweeney, even though he wants to kill everybody. Her alarm bells never once go off this movie. Like, she's looking at this guy who's absolutely crazy and... She's hidden the fact that his wife is alive, who I do want to give a quick shout out to um, Laura Michelle Kelly, one of my favorite Broadway stars, for playing the part of Lucy. She gets so little screen time, but so much impact. She's very good. I love her. So I have to give a quick shout out to Laura Michelle. This was actually my first viewing where I realized it was Laura Michelle Kelly. I just had a moment where it's like, wait a minute. I've seen her before. And then I looked on IMBD and I was like, hey, it's her. Well, she has no, like, film credits. Like, she when I looked on her IMDb page, she had very few film credits. I know her from being the uh, originating Mary Poppins in the Broadway version of the Disney movie. Very cool. Or Disney Story. And then she was also the original Sylvia Lewin Davis in Finding Neverland, which, amazing. Just absolutely great performance in that.
1: Which I think of Johnny Depp again, because he's in... He's in Finding Neverland.
2: Johnny Depp did not appear in the stage show Finding Neverland, but he was in the movie. So it's interesting how it's all connected. It's
1: all come together.
2: But going back to Mrs. Lovett, she's insane. She's hitting the fact that his wife is alive. She is goading him on. She's both goading him on and keeping him back from just murdering everyone in sight. She's like easy now hush love hush but then encourages him in a little priest that hey maybe we could just like make peep we could make meat pies out of people you can, you
1: can almost
0: say like no pun intended that she's gaslighting him
2: I mean she very well could <laughs> yeah,
0: now you know what I want to see now I want to see a scene where like they use they, they, they shoot Johnny Depp out of a rocket and she's all excited and he just has the same neutral expression that he has through most of the movie it's just like, my friend, she just <laughs> flies across London. No, but she's very much like the Lady Macbeth in this story. In yes, a lot of ways. she he, is. She's the enabler. Oh, she's, yeah. in a lot of ways, like is that driving, the, a lot of that driving force, you know, and part of that, I was kind of reading up on it a little bit was they were talking about like Angela Lansbury was in the original production and Angela Lansbury was a big star and she's like, I, I don't want to play second fiddle. She's like the se- like the second banana in this movie. The, the, this this play like this is about Sweet. This is titled Sweeney Todd. It is isn't titled Mrs. Lovett, and she's got a lot of and it shows that they wanted to beef up a lot of that part. She's got she's pra- practically the other lead in the in the story in a lot of ways. Yes. it is her
1: story. It's kind of it's kind of appropriate in, in, a, in a tragic way, but it's appropriate to, that we're talking about this movie on Valentine's Day because this is a this is a love story. It's just a very tragic like, almost one-sided, on-both-ends kind of love story. It's got, you know, even if you just look at the Blu-ray, the back of the Blu-ray, or a lot of the posters, you have that image of Sweeney holding the razor with Mrs. Lovett, like, over his shoulder, you know, staring lovingly at him, and then he's just, like, looking back at her, like, listen, I'm having a moment here. (laughs) Like, like, uh, it's me and the razor I'm talking to. What are you doing? But, like, there's, like, like... pile of straight razors like and then it's like there's like a heart kind of uh symbol you know with them and with them in the heart on uh, I think one of the posters is or something but it is a very tragic love story like the movie is just a tragedy in all types of ways.
2: Oh, very much so. There's like zero happiness to be found in this movie <laughs> at all. There's comedy, but not happiness. And, which, 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 like you know what? there's some comedic moments.
1: Sorry, sorry, you go ahead.
2: No, I, I was saying there's like comedic moments with uh, Mrs. Lovett specifically, if we're going to keep on her, but there's also Pirelli, um, very, a couple comedic moments there. There's a few moments where you kind of chuckle, but then you're right back to kind of cringing a little bit, because there's a lot of cringe. It's purpose driven like there's a reason for it it's not like
0: it's not like we live in a society
2: no we're nowhere near that level of (laughs) no
0: no what we need what we need what we need is sasha baron cohen what's his character's name in this again Signor perelli i needed him in the justice league trail to go batman we live in a society. The pump, the pump.
1: I, I live in a society where I am trying to sell piss and ink.
2: Wait a minute, hear me out. Sasha Baron Cohen is the Joker.
1: I've suggested him as Batman in one in one instance.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, you did. <laughs> that would be really. Have interesting. Him play, have him play both parts it'd be amusing yeah. it'd be amusing <laughs> but no like you you mentioned you mentioned the
1: comedy part of it what i find kind of funny is like when you watch the original musical it's the the original musical almost feels like it's intended to be a comedy like there it's not like it's not like it's not as dark and tragic at least from my memory of watching it uh as you, when you watch the movie it
2: will heavily depend on the production you see because i've seen like the just talking about just it. talking
1: about the original one though is what i mean
2: oh yeah but oh you mean like the recorded version that was like on pbs a long time ago yeah yeah i could argue where that one's more like a comic um if you see a stage version that will totally be up to director interpretation of course so you can definitely see very different versions of the same thing um by going to a stage production following back to the movie though because again i want to stay focused on the movie since this isn't musical splaining. even though me and joey are big fans of musical splaining, Lindsay ellis notices senpai (laughs) they definitely go the tragic route here in the the comedy is there some of it is there but for the most part they do play it up as a straight-up tragedy like even the other love story of Antony and Joanna doesn't really have a uh, doesn't really have a resolution in the end they save Joanna from like the mental asylum where she was but you don't find out what happened to them it's assumed that they run off and that they
1: not even just that too it's just that she's scarred all the besides Anthony, who essentially like is a newcomer when he comes into the story, and he has never ha- like he he comes in with absolute even though he even though what he's looking at is dreary and sad looking when he sees the London city skies, but when he comes in, he's just like I'm so excited to see London, and then Sweeney Todd's like No, <laughs> it it sucks there. Pretty much, it's it's the worst place ever. Why do you why do you want this? And he learns that, but. It, he, he's never there long enough to have the full experience of knowing how shitty London really is. But both are other, the other kind of younger characters, like the innocent characters, which is Toby and Joanna, have awful experiences from living there. So, like, Toby obviously being the apprentice to Pirelli who abuses him nonsensically and, like, viciously. Like, even just, like, trying to, like, sharpen his straight razor, he just intentionally cuts toby's fingers or um uh with joanna just being trapped uh in judge turpin's house and you know him pining over her and when she rejects him him like going you know i'm gonna send you to an insane asylum i mean like even though he's able to save joanna and even though like in a way mrs lovett it was able to save toby they're still scarred like they'll always have those emotional traumatic moments for the rest of their lives, and and it's just going to be something that haunts them. Even with Toby, to the point where you know, as we get to the end of the movie, and he learns the truth of what Mrs. Levitt and Sweeney do, you know, when he cut, like it's almost like visual, like visually, like uh, implied too, when he comes out of the drain, when Sweeney's like holding his dead wife, and he looks like Sweeney like his eyes are sunken his his skin is more pale and he slits his throat so it's almost like he embodies that that persona
0: kind of inherits that role
1: yeah
2: it, it it's the perpetual wheel of tragedy kind of it just keeps going
1: it doesn't stop
2: this is definitely not a feel good musical like we were talking about how singing in the rain just automatically puts you in a good mood you want to sing you want to dance you you sing it everybody else around you starts singing this you gotta be in a very specific mood to watch Sweeney Todd. Anyone who says that Sweeney Todd is their feel-good musical, you might wanna keep an eye on them. Why are you guys looking at me like that?
0: Uh, I was thinking about when we were watching and they start, like, the, the meat pie business is booming. Yes! ah, oh! <laughs> That was... <laughs> that was hysterical. Yeah,
2: that gets really downplayed. What,
0: what happened, Joey? Well, we were watching the movie and you, it, Richard looks... You know, Richard in some instances, is not very good at concealing what he's feeling. He'll tell you how how he's feeling. He, 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 you know. I'm very open. You know, you're very open. You're very open. We're watching the movie and he looks, it looks clearly, it looks clearly uncomfortable. And Alice is like, what, what, are you, are you, oh, are you bothered because like, uh, the people are in social distancing or they're not, you know, it, it just makes you think back, think to like Corona or whatever. And he's like, no, they're eating people. They're eating people. <laughs> and then she's like, oh yeah.
1: "Oh yeah."
2: See, I've seen this. I've seen this show so many different times that it doesn't bother me and they really don't bring up the people fact that much like it's in the background obviously with Sweeney slitting the throats and then his chair reclines backwards and they're dumped down the body chute. They they keep that in there but it, they don't forward it but front. it's like
1: I think the knowledge of that they're eating the pies and the, people are loving it and business is booming and like you think about that knowing what they're doing it's just it's it's just like oh <laughs> what are you doing and they're and the, and that's
0: the worst part they're like this is
1: delicious what are they using
2: a uh, special barbecue recipe ev- evidently <laughs> <laughs>
0: Two dudes, one double features does not <laughs> condone cannibalism. No, we do not.
2: Yeah, we do not condone cannibalism. Just good barbecues, safe barbecues, non
0: human meat barbecues. based barbecues.
2: Exactly. the The tone of this musical is definitely way different from Singing in the Rain, but the fact that it's a great adaptation, I think, makes it it makes sense why you paired these two together, kind of, if you squint.
0: Well, I, I feel like it was just like one of us saying, "Hey." We got to watch Sing in the Rain, or, and then one of us going, "Hey, you got to watch Sweeney Todd." And I think both of us came out going, "Yeah, we're glad we did that." Yeah, like, the, like, like I said, it was pre- it was pretty easy
1: when we were like, "Let's do a musical episode," and then we were, and then um, Joey Joey definitely wanted to do Singing in the Rain, and so I was trying to think because obviously, whenever we do these pairings, we try to like both pick something, and so I, the only one that I really wanted to talk about was Sweeney Todd. But admittedly, I felt like I was like, "Okay, I've talked about Tim Burton enough. I kind of want to." Switch it to something else, but Joey's like, you know what? It's fine.
0: It gets good. No, because again, it was one of those things. I wanted, to, I wanted to see it again, and you know, and I think it, like, like we were talking about, like the My Neighbor Akira episode when we talked about My Neighbor Totoro and Akira. It's a similar, it's a similar medium of like those two things. It was anime, and this is like you know movie musicals, but. It goes about it in very, very different ways, and I think sometimes talking about that contrast is is equally, you know, interesting as talking about why something is similar. Yes, yes, it is.
2: Oh yeah, like the differences that actually make the movies stronger for what they are. Like Singin' in the Rain is that happy, feel good musical. Sweeney Todd is definitely not, but it, there's still there's nothing taken away from either one of them because of those two things. They're both very important in their own rights.
1: Mm-hmm. And this this was fun fact. One of the few, because like this came out, like you were saying, Allison, this came out when I was uh, like really starting to actually get an interest in musicals as well. Like I was taking a theater tech class in high school, and I was one of four students in that whole class. (laughs) Because sadly, not a lot of people signed up for it. And it was around that time Sweeney Todd was coming out, and I was really excited to see it. And it was the and also on top of that, it was the first R-rated movie that I could see on my own because I had turned seventeen, so I didn't need like you know. That was actually fun fact. That was my first R-rated movie, and I knew a little bit about Sweeney Todd at that time. I didn't really know a whole lot about it, but I definitely got more interested in it. And like that, that particular movie um, started like a, a chain reaction of me getting into other stuff. Like obviously wanting to see more john anytime i saw john logan's name attached to something i just got excited about it i was like oh you know at least i know the screenplay is going to be somewhat in like somewhat well written with john logan attached to it and obviously penny dreadful and a few other movies came along that i was really into and it just like i said it got me more interested in in musicals and wanting to see all types of things because at that time i was only used to disney movies so this one was definitely a different beast even just how it approaches the musical aspect like the mixture of dialogue and music um as it plays out versus like let's talk 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 sing talk 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 sing this one's like talk within the singing and talking and singing and it's just it had a really different flow and it actually it sparked an interest that hasn't hasn't died so i that, this movie was a big one for me
2: i can't understate how this is definitely one of the better examples of a stage two film adaptation of a musical. There've been bad ones. There've been really bad ones. And then there've been not so bad ones, but this one for all it's worth and for how weird it is and how some people might get turned off because it's just another Tim Burton production. It does such a good job of not only retaining the original intent and the music and the style, but using the media of film to its advantage and not taking away from it too much. So I, I actually really do like this movie and the musical. I do like it both. Mm-hmm. It's not everybody's taste. I'll say it, taste. Huh? Pun. It's not to everybody's liking. People! That much I know. <laughs> so I'll, I'll never, ever force Sweeney Todd on someone who doesn't want to see it. Cause like, I get it. Right, It's good. But I understand why somebody wouldn't like it.
1: I also liken it a little bit as far because you were talking about like the transitioning. I liken it a lot to uh, when Tim Burton did Batman, like the first Batman movie, because he came into that without, well, he didn't really read or like comics because it just was hard for him to like read them, which I'm not going to fault him for. I know a lot of people that are like that, um, but it was the one thing within this world he wasn't that into that he really liked. And he found a way to adapt it in his own way. And, you know, some people might look at it and go, oh, I hate this because, you know, they did this thing that wasn't in the comics, or they changed this, or they did that, yada, yada, yada. Or, like, the whole Michael Keaton debacle when Michael Keaton was cast. You know, a lot of that happened with Sweeney because Tim Burton had no interest in musicals. But when he saw Sweeney Todd for the first time, he fell in love with it. He saw, like, three or four productions of it immediately. And so he had this opportunity to make the movie and so that love and that passion for this one stage show and uh just wanting to make it a movie cuz not not even just that he didn't really know how to make a musical he knew he just knew how to make movies a lot of that transitioned i think into this really well-oiled uh machine of Uh, adaptation when making this one just because he he made it how he knew how to make it and how he wanted to make it and it turned out really well surprisingly even just keeping sondheim on as opposed to like getting danny elfman or one of his other composers like howard shore who i think did one of his other movies like keeping sondheim on i think was also a very smart move who and he i think from what i've heard sondheim sort of got a bad taste in his mouth when it came to some some adaptations but with this one uh, it kind of reinvigorated his interest. I mean, he wouldn't have done Into the Woods if, if it wasn't for this. And you know, depending on how you feel about that, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. But just the fact that you know this experience, you know, made things better for Sondheim when it came to translation to film, I think, is a good thing.
2: There's definitely a lot of passion that shows through with both of these projects. Like passion for Singing in the Rain, and then passion for this. the The love of the musicals themselves shows up. One's an adaptation, one's not, but they're both. Definitely pillars in their field.
0: I think with with both of these, like you know, because people like talk about like musicals. Like, why are you in? Uh, why why a musical? Why do the Why do the characters have to sing about what they're whatever they're dealing with? And I think a lot of that is just like it's just that they're it's the peak peak of their emotions at that particular point. You know, in a lot in a lot of these cases, like. Especially in S- Singing in the Rain," like you know, he he, like Gene, it's not enough for Gene Kelly just to say "I love you" to to Kathy Selden, you know, to Debbie Reynolds' character. It, he has to he has to sing those songs. He has to convey it in that way with the, with the audience hearing the music. Or in Sweeney Todd," it's not enough for you know Johnny Depp to say, "Hey, I like these razors. I think I'm gonna be called, become Johnny Razor Razor Arms." Oh my god.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That was the best Johnny Depp impression I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm
0: Johnny Razor. I don't
2: Collins. even know what that was. <laughs> that was BoJack Horseman does Sweeney Todd. That was what that was. <laughs>
0: My friend. <laughs> no, but like the the point is like he has to sing about the fact that ha- how delighted he is that he has, it, he has his razors and like how he's going to plot his revenge and, and do his, his nasty deeds. He has to sing about it at that point.
1: I was going to say it's a lot like action movies. We talked about when we talked about like Scott Pilgrim and how Edgar Wright intentionally framed that movie like a musical, but instead of singing, they were fighting. So when they got to the height of emotion, instead of like bursting out into a song, they started kicking the shit out of each other. And so, like, it's that kind of same mentality, just in a completely different medium, and it still works very well.
2: Or if we even want to go right back to singing in the rain, uh, the dueling. Whatever, the, the movie that they were doing within the movie was ridiculous up until they took it and made it into a musical. That was the only way that they could make these high emotions work.
0: That's a very good point.
2: That was the only way that they could make it work. The dueling cavalier had to become the dancing cavalier and they had to rework their entire thing. Because when they played themselves so seriously, despite the high, the high emotions that they were working with, it didn't work and everybody was just laughing at them. In the wrong way. Exactly. So that's why musicals are important.
0: It, it, it's th- this one was this one was a lot of fun to to check out. You know, and I, I think it had a lot of nice, neat little like flourishes. I think about where like uh, Pirelli, his fingers like sort like or w- like wiggle, sort of twitch in the box, like little mo- you know moments like that, or um y- y- you know just like is that like the way the blades are shot because they they look so clean compared to every to compared to everything else in the movie. Just little little details um like that but Allison thank you for hopping on this this week's episode of Two Dudes One Double Feature it was uh, greatly appreciated and like originally it was we we didn't know if we were going to have you in the episode but I'm glad it ended up working out like this
1: and I got to spend some Valentine's Day time with you guys which would any other situation would have just been uncomfortable for me, but I was in this situation. It wasn't. <laughs> I was very happy.
2: This is a very fun way to spend our Valentine's Day because I love musicals. I love being on this podcast with you guys, and as your official musical consultant, <laughs> it, it makes it, <laughs> it it's a fun, it's a lot of fun to be involved. I got to say that. So it's always a pleasure when you guys have me on.
1: Thank you for coming on. We
0: appreciate you, folks. What are your favorite musicals? What are your favorite movie musicals? Do you like going to Broadway when, you know, before the pandemic... There's no was COVID. Thing? Before there was no COVID. I know I can't wait to see a Broadway show in the future, future, future.
1: I've never seen one, so I need to we're see to We're going
0: to change that. But regardless... We'll fix that. Regardless, please let us know your favorite musicals, your favorite movie mu- musicals. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Richard, Richard and I, and Allison's on Letterboxd now, so you can check out our thoughts on movies there. We're going to definitely put that Letterboxd... We're going to put that in the description uh, for this week's episode. Yes, we are. Uh, So thank you so much, folks, for listening, and uh, check us out next week. Have a
1: good night, everyone.
2: Happy Valentine's Day, everybody.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Special shout out to Allison Cola. Thank you so much for being in this episode. We love you so much. And of course, to John and Kenny Armstrong for always bringing their A-game and giving us fantastic music. You guys are the best. And of course, a hint to next week's double feature. We are spotlighting an actor-turned-director who really, really likes working with Saoirse Ronan. Stay tuned.